this conclusion of the surah whereas the surah begins with sad quran by the quran the one of dhikr reminder remembrance here there's a reminder of that reminder at the end of the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is instructing the Prophet to announce. What he announces is always of immense value. So here the value is, I don't ask you uh, for this any compensation, any reward is this work I'm doing informing you of what Allah tells me to inform you of and this work of Nabuwa, this work of Dawah, I'm not seeking any compensation, any reward, anything in return for this work, it is purely for the sake of Allah. So a Nabi is not allowed to take anything for his efforts in terms of his uh, uh, preaching, promoting, propagating, etc., his teaching and his reforming, the reward is in the hands of Allah. So this is one ayah that has been mentioned several times in the Quran and especially through the tongues of other prophets as we read in Surah Al-Shu'ara every Nabi who came said the same thing I don't want anything in return for what it is I'm doing which is a very substantially a very different paradigm or approach if you want than what other reformers uh, do other reformers have some agenda. Uh, at the very least, they want recognition. They want reputation. They want a following. At the very least, they want to implement their theories and their policies and so on. So where they're a social reformer, where you want to activate the community to engage in social reform, or whether you're a political reformer, then you want to activate that community vis-a-vis -vis in political reform. Or if you're somebody who is an educationist or just someone who is a good person and is advising people in general, they must do this. At the very least, they want to see a concrete result at the end of their work. Mm. 
here in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as with the other ayat that speak like this, say, I don't want any reward, min ajr, any whatsoever. Not even the idea that people will believe and reciprocate and come to terms with the message and the mission and so on. So it's blatantly and nakedly just for the sake of Allah. Sincerity at his best, which is mentioned by the devil in the previous ayah. In the previous ayah, the devil excludes those people who are made pure in 83. That I will mislead everybody except your servants who have been made pure. Those who have mukhlasin, as opposed to mukhlisin. Mukhlis is someone who's sincere. Mukhlis is someone who's made sincere and made pure. Right, yeah. so here we see that the devil uh, excludes those people from being misled because they don't want anything in return for what they do. Usually human being is pinged on some kind of reciprocal uh, ajar, wage or payment or compensation, albeit uh, some kind of self-esteem, uh, some kind of positive result, some kind of appreciation for what he does and so on. So here with the Nabi, and especially our Nabi, uh, the Prophet Muhammad Allah is informing him, he should announce this to people, that I'm not in need of any compensation, uh, nothing whatsoever. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this, قُلْ مَا أَسَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ أَجْرًا إِلَّا الْمَوَدَّةَ فِي الْقُرْبَى Except for keeping ties with the family and the kingship and the tribal ties. I do want, I do want you to maintain your tribal ties and your kingship and your family ties, even though I'm preaching against you. But that's not really a compensation. It's just that you want to maintain this because it's something you should do as human beings and people, if they're related to each other. Uh, they should maintain their ties uh, regardless of their religion and their way of life. That is that ayah. In this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now exposing the total depth and the breadth of the Prophet's mission. So since there is nothing there that the Prophet is supposed to anticipate, he doesn't. And if you see the seerah in the first 13 years, he barely got a hundred people to listen to him. So this eye came true. That if you measure the success of a reformer in terms of number of people he recruits, then you might want to say that maybe the Prophet's mission was not complete in Makkah. Obviously as Muslims we can't say that. But if you're going to measure success proportionate to the number of people, who come in and support you, then, you know, if you had 10,000 people in Makkah, if a few, if 100 people accepted at the time of Hijrah, that is, uh, some people say less than that, then you know that he was not expecting anything from anyone. So how can you be that selfless and then continue the mission? 
So that is in your belief in dhikr, which is what mentioned in the next ayah. In huwa illa dhikrun. This is merely a dhikr, a reminder. Yeah, meaning this is a form of remembrance and it's a form of becoming attached to Allah, the creator. Not a form or a vehicle to become attached to the creation. So usually when nowadays and always Muslims want to reform, they're already attached uh, mentally, psychologically, and uh, otherwise intellectually to the community. And that is what perhaps stifles their, their progress. Yeah. We have to remain objective as much as possible. If you invest your emotion in the person you are trying to reform, then your objective is not, first of all, to please Allah. Your objective is to reform the person. That's against sincerity. That's not ikhlas. Now, obviously as human beings, you can't operate that way because you have a psyche. You have emotions, right? So it's very difficult. That's why the word mukhlas is necessary to understand in the previous ayah where the devil says, except those who have been made pure. Prophets are created pure, mukhlas, to begin with. It's not in their nature to expect anything uh, from what they do. Okay, so there are some rules there of engagement. For a prophet, a prophet is not allowed to earn a living. The Prophet, our Prophet, was not allowed to earn a living after Nabuwa. He was not allowed to earn. Whatever Allah gave him, he used that for his campaign. He used, obviously, Khadija's money for the first 10 years. But after that, he was not al allowed to earn anything as a means of living. That's the first thing. So. In the Prophet's life, there's no money anyway. People say that the Prophet was a businessman. He was not a businessman. He went on a trip, and that trip landed him with Khadija, and that was the end of that. He never went on a trip afterwards. It's just a misguided theory or myth in the minds of Muslims. He was a businessman. He was not a businessman. <laughs> he was a good husband. That's why he got the money from Khadija, and that's why he got Khadija. After marriage, he never went out on any trip. He managed the money. So money and wealth was not really something that the Prophet necessarily wanted. Allah gave him what he gave him. That's the first thing. The second thing is that when you are invested with your family members, that's why that ayah that talks about family ties is very necessary. As a human being, you need to keep your family ties because it was only through the family ties of Abu Talib, the tribal ties with Abu Talib, that the Quraysh did not assassinate the Prophet Because it was in their blood, it was ingrained in them, it was embedded in their thinking, their system, in their culture, that as a matter of tribal discipline, we can't touch Muhammad We can't lay a finger on him. So that was the protection that Allah subhanahu gave through the tribes. And that tribal system needs, needs to be appreciated, I think, a bit more than we might uh, think of nowadays. Because there are so many good values in the tribal system.
that were obviously embraced or confirmed by Islam and Sharia, uh, we should say. They were confirmed by Islam and Sharia. And one was that you protect people who have been given asylum. And so by virtue of be the Prophet being a Qurayshi, and by virtue of the Prophet being, being from the Banu, Banu Hashim, his life was protected. Nobody could touch him. Yeah. So here we see that that compensation was already in place. It wasn't something he asked for. It was already there before Nabuwa. And because the Quraysh were loyal to their tribal system, they didn't do anything to hurt the Prophet until after Abu Talib died. After Abu Talib died, and they, even then they were careful. That when they wanted to assassinate the Prophet at the time of Hijrah, nobody would, would have wanted to take the blame. So they appointed a few people. All of you go and you kill them all the time, one, once, uh, at one time so that the blame is not given to anyone. Even there they were so conscious of their tribal values that if someone finds out we are responsible to kill a member of Banu Hashim, then we will lose our authority. So this was the, the, uh, the tribal way uh, through which the Prophet's life was honored and respected by the tribes. And this does not fall into the category of ajr or compensation, which this ayah is rejecting. So that's the second issue. The third issue is what the following ayah says. In huwa illa dhikrun. It's merely a means of dhikr. Dhikr is when you mention Allah and you become close to him. And you forget people. When you make dhikr, you're not supposed to remember people because you're supposed to remember Allah. Then people should not be on your mind, in your mind. So which was a very, very difficult discipline, uh, especially for non-prophets. For non-prophets, I would imagine it's almost impossible uh, to do this. Ilam and Shah, maybe a few handful of people in Muslim history may have reached that stage and a stage where uh, they could say we don't mention or think of people. For the prophets, it was fard. It was a condition for their prophethood. Yeah, and that's why throughout the Quran, you'll see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that be patient, don't worry about what they're saying. Don't worry about what they're doing. You are a messenger. And all of these verses are reassurance. And, uh, you know, in through the, the giving the Prophet encouragement to move forward with uh, the, the, the promotion of revelation, recitation of the ayat, even though the members of the Muslim community were so few in Mecca, and most of the Quran was revealed in Mecca. So most of the Quran that was revealed in Mecca was carried by so few people. They, those were the muhajir. And it is because of that virtue and that merit and honor and that manqaba, that's what we call it in Islamic terminology, was given to the muhajir over the ansar. The ansar were many more than the muhajir. But because the muhajir went through all the trials and tribulations with the Prophet in Mecca, uh, they were given this honor 
that they are going to be higher than the Ansar and all of that. So this dhikr then allows a prophet to focus on Allah and then reorganize his thoughts in such a way that he is not concerned with the result of his mission. As a human being he's concerned. And that's why he always made dua for the ummah. That was always there. But as a, a, a prerequisite for him to fulfill the mission and to go forward and propagate and promote, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there should be no ajr that you are looking for. You can make dua for the result. You can make dua for the hidayah and guidance of people, uh, which is part of your instruction. It's part of your job to do that and to make dua, but you can't rely on your job in order to create the desired result. So the desired result of promoting preaching is that people reform. Right? So now, if, God forbid, uh, we were there at the time of the Prophet and we were to measure his success and say that has he succeeded in his mission? Then we would say no, because only a hundred people, less than a hundred people uh, from thousands have accepted his mission. And that ratio simply is not good enough. So he could have packed his bags and said, okay, salam alaikum, I'm out of here. Hmm. But this ayah, in huwa illa dhikrun, is merely a dhikr, a reminder and a means of remembrance lil'alameen for all the worlds meaning the effect of your nabuwa is not limited to this world it's not limited to the human world because after Taif the Prophet preached to the jinn and the jinn, the whole tribe of jinns accepted Islam that's another world you understand? So you see the words of the ayah, Lil Alameen, for all the worlds. So the Prophet's Nabuwa prophethood was not limited to human beings on this planet. It was everywhere. Wherever there is existence, that's where his Nabuwa is. Whether this world, or the world of the jinn, or the world of other beings, or the world of the angels, or the world of the arwah, wherever it is, everybody eventually will appreciate and acknowledge the nabuwa of the Prophet So now the platform is huge now, so broad. If you say my message is for the human being, then you have failed. But if you say my message is for all the worlds, then your mission has succeeded. Because the angels believe in you, right? The jinn believe in you. When you walk through Mecca outside in the mountains, uh, the stones, they say, Ashhadu anna, an, annaka Muhammad Rasul. The, the stones will give shahada to the Prophet Animals will give shahada to the Prophet as he's walking. Uh, so many stories in the hadith of the Mu'jizat of the Prophet Animals would testify Okay. Trees would testify, as we saw later on in Medina. So this is not the human world, it's all the worlds. So now this eye is so intriguing that it helped the Prophet immediately, instantaneously acknowledge 
that my mission is being heard by everything that exists. That is why when you give the adhan, the devil runs away. Because on the day of judgment, anything that hears that adhan will testify on behalf of the mu'addin that he gave adhan. Alameen, all the worlds. So now, when you start measuring according to human standards, then you'll be very critical, super critical, and say that if the mission had stopped in Mecca, then the mission failed. But this eye is in Mecca. <laughs> this eye is in Mecca. It's a Makki surah. Yeah. So in Mecca, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, expanding the mission of the Prophet. No, you would say that if the mission is failing somewhat, you might want to limit and reduce the mission. But Allah is expanding the mission. Well, maybe you should just concentrate on the Banu Hashim. Allah says the opposite. Concentrate on everything that exists. This is now the, the beauty of understanding that there's the word dhikr. Since dhikr is everywhere where any creation exists, then every creation of Allah, barring the human and the jinn, make the dhikr of Allah all the time. There's nothing that does not make the tasbih of Allah's praise, as the Quran says. Everything makes tasbih of Allah's praise, everything that exists, except for human beings and the jinn. When the human being and the jinn make dhikr, then that is added onto the dhikr of the cosmos. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you already know Everything in the cosmos makes dhikr. So your job is to include human beings and the jinn in the, uh, uh, the engagement of dhikr. Once you do that, then it doesn't matter whether it's one person who's making dhikr or a million people or a billion people. It is dhikr. That is the purpose of this revelation. We want one person to make the dhikr of Allah, as the hadith says. Qiyamah will not come as long as there is one person who says Allah, Allah. One person. The dhikr of one person is enough to keep the universe going. That's the power of this ayah. So what is now the ajr? The Prophet says, I don't want anything from you. <laughs> you can't give me anything anyway. Even if you were to pay me, the world is not enough. All the gold in the world, all the silver in the world, all the resource in the world is not enough to pay me anyway. So I, that's if I wanted it. I don't want it anyway. So here we see the Quran alluding to this idea that there is dhikr uh, in the universe and dhikr in the universe is the reason why the Quran is revealed. One of the names of the Quran is dhikr. Inna nahnu nazzalna dhikr. Indeed, we have set down this reminder, meaning the Qur'an, yeah, and we are the ones who will preserve it. And then the beginning of this surah, Saad al-Qur'an is the dhikr, by the Qur'an, the one that is of dhikr. And this ayah at the end, which is coupled with this issue, that prophets do not seek compensation or reward for what it is they do, not even personal gratification or satisfaction. 
they're always looking towards the crater. They're not anchored by human beings. So a prophet is not allowed to take a friend, as you know. Had I chosen a friend, I would have chosen Abu Bakr to be a friend. It's Allah who's befriended me. Total detachment from creation. We can't do that as non prophets. It's not possible. We need people. That's the way we're made. But a prophet, uh, he must come into into the, the, the realm of, of uh, his mission and message with this amount of sincerity, purity, and being purified. That is why the work of Nabuwa can only be done by people who don't care for the results. If you care for the results, you're not on the path of Nabuwa. You're on some other Muslim path. We'll follow the Muslim path. It won't be the Islamic path. It's a Muslim path. Since Muslims engage in these things, okay, fine, Mashi. We'll give them that bone. It's a Muslim path. Whatever you do. Right? The path of Nabuwa requires that you do not seek even the result of your actions. That's what Nabuwa requires. Now, the more or the less you have attachment to uh, the world, the better equipped you will have in order to be successful. But then you can't make that near either. <laughs> it's a catch-22. You can't make that near. So I'm going to be totally detached so that I get more. Quran says, you don't want to do that. So you have to be careful how you play that. But that is why in order to do the work of the Nabuwa and the work of prophethood, you need to see how the Sahaba engaged with their work, how the Tabi'un engaged, follow their role model, how their thoughts were aligned with Wahi, and how they behaved, and how they acted, how they reacted, and so on and so forth. If you do that, then you'll be on the straight path. And if you don't, and you try to create other approaches and methodologies in, in, in order to do the work, one is teaching. We're not talking about teaching here. We're not talking about education. Yeah. There are two, several issues. One layer is that is the layer of prophethood, where a prophet's mission is much greater than education. Much greater, much broader than education. Mm. It is much greater than legislation. Mm. And it's much greater than reformation. It's prophethood. Observe. Meaning, the work of a Nabi is not done when he leaves this world. The work of a Nabi continues after he leaves this world also, on the Day of Judgment, and the Shafar left. <laughs> That's a huge work. So to limit the scope of Nabuwa to a secular kind of ideology is, is a total distortion of Nabuwa. Total distortion. Meaning, what, what can you do about the Hadith of Shafar and the Ayat of Shafar on the Day of Judgment? Prophet Sassim will be running around here and there trying to save people from the fire, trying to get their, uh, their, their, their status raised in Jannah, trying to do this, trying to... That is work. That is prophetic work. That is his mission. 
So the prophet's mission doesn't stop because he left this world. The prophet's mission will continue. So that's why prophethood cannot be measured in any secular value. You can't use that index. That's a total distortion of Islam. It's a total distortion of the seerah. And that is why the Sahaba understood this, that there is something called working for the Akhirah. And that's what they did. And that's how they established their government. And that's how they ruled. And that's how they taught and so on. So a prophet's job description uh, has so many details in it that we're, we're not capable of uh, comprehending mo all of them together. We may do a few things. One of the job descriptions of a prophet is that he leaves inheritance. And that inheritance has to be further uh, given down, uh, down the line. That is knowledge. Right. So prophet's inheritance is knowledge. So the people who receive knowledge of the prophet and from the prophet, their job is to teach and educate and do this for the community. But that's just one string. It's not the whole thing. The whole thing of the Khilafah, the Khilafah of the Sahaba, especially. But even the Khilafah is only for this world. It's not for the other world. So even the Sahaba can't do what the Prophet will do. They represent the Prophet in this world. There's no doubt in that. And they did. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. At the same time, we must say, that this ayah, in huwa illa dhikrun lil alameen, it's a means of reminder for all the worlds. So there's another world, after this world, it's called the world of the graves. Then after the world of graves, there's another world, it's called the, uh, the, the world of the mahshar, the world of the day of judgment. And after that, there's another world, it's called Jannah. You must incorporate all the worlds in order for you to measure the success of Muhammad You can't measure the success of Muhammad by saying in the 13 years in Mecca, he only had 100 people. You can't do that. Total distortion, right? Nor can you measure his success by saying at the time of Hajjat al-Wida, he had 120,000 people. Measure, measure the success when, inshallah, all people who need to go into Jannah gets into Jannah. Then you can say that's the maqam Mahmud. Allah has promised him. That's the Maqawah Mahmud Allah. When everybody who needs to go into Jannah is in Jannah, then you measure the success of Muhammad. This is the dhikr. So now the Quran has destroyed any idea of compensation for the Prophet. You can't compensate him because Allah will compensate him. You can't feed him because Allah feeds him. You can't do anything for him because Allah does everything for him. He is the responsibility and he is the you know he, he is the issue if you want to call it that of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like all every other prophet is the the prophets are always raised by Allah himself they're disciplined by Allah himself if they're corrected they're corrected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself so the prophet doesn't want any compensation whatsoever for the work he has done the work he does and the work he will do. This is how you get to the understanding of this surah, that the anbiya, the prophets mentioned in the surah, they were all mukhlasin, 
They were all purified. They were all made sincere by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And their tool was dhikr. How they engaged with Allah and how they detached themselves from the makhluk and from the creation was only through dhikr. I am not from those uh, who are pretenders, or I am not those who make an issue out of it. Yeah. I'm not those who give you a fake understanding, takalluf. I'm not pretentious about the whole issue. I'm saying it the way it is. I'm not pretentious about this issue that I don't want anything from you. I'm straightforward, I'm transparent. What is in the outside is in the inside. What's in the inside is the outside. I'm not doing this because I'm hiding something. Well, I want to hide something from you. I'm doing this because this is the way it is. What you see is what you get with a Nabi. Nabi is not allowed to hide anything. And that's why the last ayah is And most certainly indeed you will come to know of his affair, of his khabar, of his news after a time, after a brief time. Meaning Allah is saying to the people, who don't know the Prophet at the point of revelation and afterwards as they're reading this ayah after the Prophet left this world, that a time will come when you will know who this person is, meaning Muhammad yeah. that you'll know his khabar, his news and his glad tidings after a while, a time will come when people will realize that uh, the greatest benefactor of mankind is Muhammad and that is for us to do and that is for us to take this message of the Prophet to people through different means and through different channels and different methodologies and so on. One of those is reading the seerah, understanding the seerah and to teach people the seerah, showing the human face of the Prophet to people is probably the most important thing a Muslim can do in today's community, in today's society. People, although they're kind of pseudo-intellectual in their pursuit to understand abstract values of uh, ideologies and Islam and so on, you don't need that. You need the face. You need the human face. You have to present the human face to this ideology, which is Islam. That's how you promote Islam. You can't promote Islam without Muhammad So now in the Muslim community, unfortunately, there are those fools who say, you, you can understand the Quran, you don't need hadith or the seerah or sunnah, just read the Quran and you'll be guided. No, you won't. And there are others who say, we need intellectual debate and intellectual stimulants and stimuli, and we need this and this, ideologies, uh, manifestos. No, you don't. What you need is the face of Muhammad You have to present to human beings a human being, a human example. These are the intellectual pursuits, what we do here. Obviously, that's fine. But in order to make this verse a reality, Muslims must promote the Prophet as being the best human being ever. That's their mission. Prove to people he is the best human being, period. No one came to the world with more uh, benefit to mankind 
than Muhammad and these are his, his qualities. What the Quran speaks of these values, these are all the qualities the Prophet inculcated and inherited from the other prophets and he was able to develop himself against their role model and he became who he became. And that is the way Muslims must first and foremost appreciate that the Prophet is our only role model. If we want to measure our intellect, it's against his intellect, not against the intellect of secularists. Because that's a trap. You can't measure the intellect of the Prophet against a physicist or mathematician or philosopher or an engineer or a reformer or a politician or someone who is a military genius. That falls down flat uh, on your face if you do that because he is not that. He is much greater than being measured against some of these individuals uh, that people want to measure him against. You say, no, the way is to see how much he trusted Allah and how much he trusted Allah in his mission and in his message. And what did he do when he was successful? He was successful at the end of his mission, mashallah, alhamdulillah. But then what did he do? At the end, you usually have, you celebrate. You get a plaque from the community. What's it called? Life achievement <laughs> plaque. You go and parade it everywhere. You put it on your wall. The Prophet What was his message at the end when he was leaving? إذا جاء نصر الله والفتح ورأيت الناس يدخلون في دين الله فواجه فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفره That when people come into Islam in the droves, when your mission starts to be successful at a level that you couldn't uh, perhaps perceive, then what do you do? Do you have a party? فسبح بحمد ربك Then make the tasbih of the praise of your Lord, engage in dhikr. Wastaghfirhu and seek forgiveness. See the humbleness, humility that Allah developed in a Nabi and especially the Prophet that the time that you're leaving this world and your mission is so successful that it's going to control half of the known world or two-thirds of the known world at that time. Within a few decades, then we don't want you glorifying yourself you remember Allah you don't remember this success that detachment is a proof of the Prophet prophethood because no ordinary human being can do that that's why you can't have a tomb you can't have uh, an image of the Prophet you can't restrict him to a face or a figure an image or something that you can't say that this is where he, he is, and he's successful everywhere. In all the world, he's successful. So we see that here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking the reader of the surah back to the first ayah uh, and saying that this is the Quran, the Quran of one of dhikr. And we see that the Quran is now uh, embodied, personified by the Prophet. And the Prophet is also a person of dhikr. That this is the one, the being, the human being, 
the man who's now showing you that you can be engaged in dhikr and be totally uh, beneficial to mankind. Being in dhikr doesn't mean to say you're not beneficial to mankind, which is unfortunately the, 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 the slander against Sufis. Right? Slogans against Sufis. What are they doing sitting in dhikr? <laughs> so this ayah says that it's all about dhikr. Right? Someone who engages in dhikr, he's going to be beneficial to mankind. That's a paradox. They don't go together. Uh, how is that you're sitting in the masjid making dhikr and you're beneficial mankind? No, that doesn't work. It does work if you expand uh, your existence to all the worlds. It doesn't work if you're a secularist. It doesn't work if you say, my world is limited to this dunya, the physical world. All there is is, All it is this world, we live and we die. And we are not going to be resurrected. If your understanding of Islam is distorted to this level, that you engage in Islamic activity only because you want to see faida and benefit in this world, then I'm not sure whether you're Muslim. I'm very doubtful whether you're Muslim in the first place. Your Islam is totally incomplete. Because Islam means you're doing something here to reap the benefit there. Lil'alameen, all the worlds. So a Muslim must engage in anything he does for the sake of Allah and in anything Islamic for the sake of all the worlds put together. Your salat helps you become a visionary. And salat is all dhikr. Because when you do salat, I hope you don't want the reward of the salat in this world. Why are you doing salat? I'm going for Jum'ah. I'll meet a few people. That is not why you do salat. وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِذِكْرِ The Quran says to Musa Establish salat for my dhikr. فَسْعَوْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ For Jum'ah. Allah says, rush towards the dhikr of Allah. Even for Jum'ah, the Quran is saying, rush towards the dhikr of Allah. Not towards Jum'ah. Is not towards the khutbah, is not towards the congregation, is not towards your announcements after Jum'ah. It is for the dhikr of Allah. Rush towards the dhikr, meaning that your purpose of ibadah is to receive reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the angels on the day of judgment so that you may benefit in Jannah. That is your Islam. If your Islam is saying that our Islam is to benefit us in this world, then I'm not sure you're Muslim. You reduce Islam to something which is uh, not worth reducing it. <laughs> yeah, the dunya is not worth fighting for. Right? It's not meaning that in Islam, when, you, when, when you're in, into politics, that you're not supposed to run for any office because the Prophet said, if anyone runs for office, don't vote for him. <laughs> totally antithetical to the whole Islamic discourse. The Islamic discourse is premised on this belief that there is another world. There's the Akhirah. If you do this, then you understand these ayat. And the people that are represented in the surah, all the prophets, that's what they did. 
Dawood and Suleiman were engaged with the world. They ruled the world. And they were judges in the world. But what is the most salient feature Allah mentions about them? Innahu awwab. Dawood and Suleiman, both of them. Constantly returning to Allah. Constantly thinking of Allah. Constantly mentioning Allah. Constantly in the dhikr of Allah. That is a lesson for Muslims who want to say, uh, we must show the world that Islam fits into the world. We say Islam fits into every world, not just this world. The secular world doesn't fit into the grave. Right? The secular world doesn't fit into the akhirah. Then you're out of place. Then you'll have a cultural shock when you get there. So the, 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 the understanding of this surah is premised on dhikr. Sa'd wal Quran is dhikr by the Quran, which is one of dhikr, and it concludes with dhikr that this mission of the Prophet is not about being rewarded in this world. This mission about the Prophet is about establishing dhikr in all worlds, wherever there is existence, there should be the dhikr. Of Allah, there should be the remembrance of the Prophet and then the glad tiding for the Prophet is that everybody will come to know about him, which is what's happening now, by hook or crook. <laughs> by hook or crook, Allah is making sure everybody knows Islam and everybody knows the Prophet So that's happening organically independent of the efforts of Muslims. Allah doesn't need the Muslims to spread his word. Right? Allah is totally independent. He doesn't need us to do his work. Allah does his work regardless of what others, or what Muslims are doing, what non-Muslims are doing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show people that Muhammad is the true prophet and Muhammad is the greatest benefactor to all of mankind in all worlds, not just this world, in all worlds. If you measure leadership of the Prophet don't reduce it to this world. Measure his leadership in the grave. When you're in the grave, you're questioned about the Prophet So he has leadership in that world. You're not questioned about Einstein. Right? When you're on the Day of Judgment, You'll be under whose banner? The Prophet inshallah. When you're at the Holy Ghost, who's going to give you the drink? The Prophet It's the Prophet's leadership that needs to be represented by, the, by Muslims. The Muslims must bring the face of Muhammad to this level where when they talk about Islam, they cannot detach the Prophet from Islam. Islam has its values. Islam is peace, Islam is this, uh, being good to neighbors, being kind to parents, blah, blah, blah. But more than that is about following one human being. And that human being is the one of dhikr. So the Quran is about dhikr, and the Prophet is about dhikr. And with this, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq to do what pleases Him the most. Uh, he gives us tawfiq. 
to understand his word the way the Prophet ﷺ wanted us to understand his word. And may he give us tawfiq to do the dhikr of Allah. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Inshallah. We'll see you all soon. Subhanallah alhamdulillah. Barakallah alhamdulillah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.